Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. On October 24th, here in New York City, at this hour, changing sales prices can reveal a lot about the current strength and appeal of a neighborhood. There are neighborhoods where closing prices rose the most compared to last year from August of 16 to August of 17, and there are a few surprises. For example, the New York City neighborhood that has seen the biggest change in prices is... We'll talk about that and reveal that a little later. Also at this hour, getting ready to put your place on the market. You no doubt want to get top dollar for your apartment, and you're probably guessed you're going to have to spruce things up a bit before hosting that open house. If you didn't plan on it, be advised your broker will likely tell you, and we'll talk about that as well. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also email all of us here at the show, or I can be emailed at vrocco at Halstead. In the news today, Grand Central Terminal is going more upscale in a hurry, the Post has learned, as its landlord, Metropolitan Transportation Authority, or the MTA, looks to make the landmark transit center more posh stores that have been serving uh, commuters since the terminal's renaissance 20 years ago. I can't believe it's been 20 years since that place is upgraded. Brooklyn-based Juniors, for example, Two Boots Pizza and Grand Harvest Wines are out. In their place will be more upscale shops like the Art Bird and Whiskey Bar, run by Oprah Winfrey's former personal chef, Art Smith. It replaces a grab-and-go cafe. Okay, whatever. After the Grand Central makeover, which will accelerate through 2018 and beyond, the 104-year-old building may start to feel more like the luxury Short Hills Mall than a bustling transit center serving harried customers. After page six exclusively revealed last month that Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez were apartment hunting in New York, superstar singer J-Lo has put her stunning $27 million Manhattan duplex penthouse on the market. The loved up couple, power couple, have been uh, looking at sprawling apartments on Park Avenue, among other locations. Lopez has listed her 6,500 square feet uh, Flatiron District apartment with the Maudlin Group, Adam Maudlin, a long-term friend and business associate of A-Rod. Her apartment boasts four bedrooms, a master suite, two master baths, and four terraces over two floors. I actually saw that apartment when it was a brand new construction, a uh, beautiful building. Rock and roll legend Keith Richard and his wife, Patty Hansen, have uh, relisted their Greenwich Village digs following a price drop and broker swap. The three-bedroom duplex at 1-5th Avenue is now on the market for $11.99 million, down from its $12.23 million asking price last year. It is currently with Douglas Elements, Fred Eklund, and John Gomes. The building itself was featured in Candace Bushnell's novel, 1-5th Avenue, published in 2008. That was a great book. Since their twins were born in June, Beyonce and Jay-Z have kept busy buying homes. In August, the power couple plunked down a cool $88 million for a 30,000-square-foot Los Angeles estate. Not long after, they shelled out $26 million for an East Hampton spread at 81 Briar Patch Road on exclusive Georgia Capon, where neighbors include Ron Perlman, Steven Spielberg, and Martha Stewart. Now we can report exclusively that all... That, as all this was happening in late August, Beyonce quietly sold her 44th floor apartment in One Beacon Court at 151 East 58th Street in Midtown East for $9.95 million. And Justin Bieber, poor Justin Bieber, has been trying to rent a house in Beverly Hills, offering up to $100,000 per month. But none of the homeowners in the exclusive area want him because of his reputation 
of trans, uh, trashing mansions. The singer has been staying at a Beverly Hills hotel where we are told he is a semi-permanent resident having rented at the hotel for up to a year because he can't find a mansion to rent in the area. A Hollywood real estate source exclusively told Page Six, Justin wants to rent a big estate, uh, but many of the owners of big Hollywood properties which are for rent have clubbed together to agree not to rent to Justin. You should, you would think that they would want the cachet of having him in their homes, said the source, and Justin is offering $100,000 a month for these places that aren't anywhere near worth it, but he and his entourage have a reputation of trashing his rental homes and them being difficult when it comes to paying for the repairs. Why doesn't he just buy something? Wouldn't that settle the problem? <clears throat> anyway, and finally, a shout-out to my business partner, Shane. Happy birthday. I love you. I hope you have the best day because it is a big day and big numbers for Shane Shimon. Anyway, good morning. Morning. How is everybody today? Yeah, he's 30 years old today. Isn't Happy that birthday, Shane. Yeah, it's big birthday. day. Big day for him. Big day, big day. So I'm here with Niall Lundgren from Compass, uh, Matt Cohen from Core Real Estate, Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Phil Horrigan on his way from leasebreak.com, and my very special guest star today, Anna Shagaloff from Halstead Real Estate, where I work. So how is everybody? Doing all right. A little bit of rain today, but that's a little, okay. A little I, think, bit. I think the city needed it a little bit. Well, know? as I said on Facebook this morning, it's a great way to reset, right? So yeah. you need a rainy day. You need to tr- get settled down a little bit, then charge it back out there when the sun shines. Exactly. And you're ready, set, and go. I feel so much better after hearing about Justin Bieber. It makes <laughs> me feel better about my life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you trash apartments too? Do you have I, a secret side? A secret side you know, I don't, but now that I'm thinking about my future life, <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be something in the cards. I think they're all on Selena Gomez's side. That's what I heard. That's oh, why okay. it's happening. That's interesting. I don't know. Well, listen, you know, the, well, Hollywood will be Hollywood. Politics will be politics. You just <laughs> never know, right? <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Barack and Michelle Obama may soon be purchasing a high-end Eastside co-op in the building with views of Carl Schulz Park and the East River. Amenities including a garden and basketball court, and according to the New York Post, a rather dark history. The Post dubs the building at 10 Gracie Square the unluckiest in town, relating that two famous residents committed suicide by jumping from their penthouse apartments, and another was arrested for plotting the murder of her father. Wow. 10 Gracie is hardly the only building in New York City with a sordid past. Three residents of Chelsea's London Terrace killed themselves in one year, according to the Daily News. Windsor Terrace is home to a murder house, according to the Elle magazine, and Curbed has a list of the city's most haunted buildings, several of which were the scene of gruesome deaths. Given the age of many of these buildings, the odds are that plenty of them have had some misfortune or two in their day. The superstitious looking to avoid ending up somewhere with a particularly grisly history will need to do some digging to find out what has transpired in their apartments. A 1995 law revealed brokers, relieved rather, brokers in New York State of the responsibility of telling prospective buyers or tenants if there was a murder, suicide, or other death in the apartment. I didn't know that. I didn't even know there was a 1995 law. So you're on your own then? You're on your own. Yeah, you got to figure that out. So I'm asking all of you, do you ever encounter this in your business? Do anybody, does anybody ever ask you, Hey, what's going on in this building? It's an old building. Should I be concerned? Did anyone pass away? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, you get that quite often, actually, with the estate sales. And I, I actually had that very recently where it turned out that the estate was actually in a family trust and nobody had died there. But until that was actually disclosed to me, which it wasn't, you would think, um, 
the buyer that I had was, I mean, had a list of questions as to who died, when they died, how they died. Was it in the apartment? How long were they in the apartment? And then I had to take all of this to my sellers and turned out nobody died there. It was just a family estate. Well, but well, I do have that a lot. Well, let me ask you something. So, you know, we, we also function under this rule, you know, if someone discloses something to you as the real estate agent, you then have to disclose it to everyone else, people coming in, especially through, through open houses. So even though this 1995 law relieves us from, from that kind of conversation, but if you, st- if you know about it, don't you still have to reveal it? Well, yeah, yeah, that's my question. So the 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 law that I was, was passed stumped by that in '95 um, is that you know your own option, or if someone, if a buyer actually asks you if there's been a death in the apartment, can you lie to them? Because I mean, coming from a real estate family, this was a major topic we would talk about, and we talk about how you had to tell them. We talk, we would speak about how there's legality issues behind. If I would tell doing, them anyway. I'm not going to misrepresent anything. So I'm yeah, a I don't, concerned about the 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 law that says. In this particular case of death or murder or suicide or whatever, you don't have to reveal. I'm not so sure. I wouldn't about want that. it coming back to haunt me. No, <laughs> I like that. Well, I definitely Especially think pre Halloween, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say it. It probably goes back to the whole idea of energy. I mean, a lot of people in today's society are all about energy, and especially in New York, you know, and you know, having good energy when you're buying, having good energy when you're selling. And um, I mean, I just sold a loft in Tribeca to buyers who talked about the first thing they asked me when they saw it. They were like. So what are the what are the sellers like? And of course you can't, you know, I, I don't like to disclose too much about my clients, but I did. I always say something like, "They're great people. They're so wonderful. I've known them forever." And um, you know, they were like, "Oh, that makes us really happy because we bought our current place, and it was a nasty divorce that we bought it from, and we always felt like it had bad energy after that." So oh, I was actually so just going to say, a divorce it might be just as bad yeah. as a death because the karma, the energy, people. They just start to feel differently when they're in the space, whether, you know, one minute they're fine. And then the second they learn that, it's just they get chills and they want they want out. I actually had somebody I showed a townhouse to and there was a dead bird in the yard. Oh. And she's like, oh, no, oh, no, I've got to get out of here immediately. And I'm like, all right, you can't possibly be a real buyer. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you said that. I just showed my penthouse that I have on 47th Street. And we walked out of the master bedroom terrace, which is very large. And there was a dead bird. And this woman hightailed back. If it's Into the same buyer. The, <laughs> <laughs> She's still looking. It's Could been be. like 15 oh, years. Yeah. Ran out of the master bedroom and down the stairs, and I thought, well, it's just a dead bird. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's not a know. rat. <laughs> right. It could have Could been, be. It could have been a rat. You know, whatever. Anyway, I'm not a superstitious person, but, you know, getting back to, to this particular question, I live in a building from 1927 or 29. It was built, I can't remember, pre-war in New York City. I'm certainly not the first person who lived in that building, although I do look good for my age. But (laughs) who, I mean, somebody may have passed away in that apartment, right? Somebody may have, who knows what could have happened. But I don't think, but when I first walked into that place 13 years ago, I thought the energy was great, the karma was great, the the, the feel was great. So maybe not. But I'm certainly not going to sit there and think about what may have happened in those days, 100 years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's history everywhere. You have to kind right. of expect yeah. that it's going to, you know, at some point somebody might have, might have died in your building, if not right. in your apartment. Absolutely. I, I also always say, I don't think 
whenever anyone says they're not superstitious, I think that's a load of BS. I think that everyone has a little bit yes. of superstition. Like even like no, I always. I, I, no, I don't. I really don't. I don't. I, I, I don't believe in, you. I'm kind of. I'm kind of honest. Think think about it this way. So I I used to be a person that I, I didn't care about any of that. And then um, it, one of my friends was walking with me one day, and I passed by a penny that was heads up, and I was like, I walked by, and I was like. I have to go back and pick it up. Like I cannot pick it up. It's messing with my mind. So I, I don't know if I believe that very much. I'm working in a building right now that has a 13th floor, and I, when I tell you, everybody, everybody, everybody who comes in to see the, and and the amenities are on the 13th floor, full floor of amenities. Everybody has to make a comment about the 13th floor, and I'm like, what's the big deal? It's a floor. Yeah. Do you think that the building that doesn't have a 13 on the elevator pad? Doesn't have a thirteen. Doesn't have floor. a thirteenth floor. <laughs> it's just twelve or fourteen, depending yeah. on you know where it, it it falls. So it's like, come on, guys. No, I really don't have any any of those tendencies whatsoever. I'm far from perfect, but that kind of stuff, you know, I'll walk under a ladder or. Or, oh, I know, really? Oh my God, me either. No. I walked around one yesterday. Oh, I walk around. <laughs> yeah, I walk around. <laughs> no, I won't pick super- up a penny. <gasps> I won't, I won't pick, pick up. But a if penny. I say something that I shouldn't have said, I will knock on something. Yeah, okay. If there's no wood, it's oh, yeah. somebody's head or whatever. Yeah. Well, what's not, funny about that? On wood, for sure. Wood. I'm actually really OCD, like a huge germaphobe. <laughs> no so when it, so the fact really? that I pick up pennies, yeah, like you would <laughs> well, never know. <laughs> the fact that I pick up pennies is hilarious because no, it's on the floor. Only with Purell in your room. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not happening. Anyway, we have to leave it there. We're taking a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Niall, with Anna, 
with Matt, with Noah, and Phil Horrigan has joined us from leasebreak.com. All right, the biggest price cuts last quarter in this town were in the townhouse market. Townhouse sellers across the city are slashing prices with most of the price cuts on pricey houses uptown, not downtown. In total, four homes in the over $10 million market were reduced by more than 5% last week, according to data sources in the industry. What's happening with townhouses? I'm getting concerned because I have a seller who wants to list a townhouse that I sold his house to him for $17 million, uh, three years ago, and he's now making you know noise about wanting to list it and sell it and move on and whatever. The house is too big for them. It's 10,000 square feet. I don't want that listing right now. I mean, because... Just tell know, him it's worth $10 million. He'll be happy. He'll be the first broker <laughs> before, before he finds a second broker. Right. <laughs> The second or the third is always or the third. But 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 seriously, what is happening in the in the townhouse market, and why does it seem to be falling faster than than other types of housing in this town? It right to me now? that five or six years ago, everybody was scooping up these you know dilapidated townhouses with beautiful exteriors, especially on the Upper East Side, and um, and just gutting them to the yes. extreme and they're beautiful but they're just extremely overpriced and unfortunately the market is what it is so that that's going to be the first to take a hit i think um who's the who's the really well-known townhouse worker i'm blanking on her name at brown Howard stevens like three-part name no no oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah paul denunzio paul denunzio um she did a podcast uh a few months ago about this and i thought it was really interesting because she talked about how she feels like it's less about townhouses themselves and more about the market and the high end she feels like that people who are looking at townhouses are also looking at the whole high-end market and she just feels like everything above 10 million dollars is taking a while and so someone who's going to look at a townhouse is also going to look at like 10 other projects or apartments on Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue because there's so much inventory to look at. All right, so let's peel that back a little bit because I happen to agree with you and I think it's more than just the type of home in this particular case, townhouse. I think it's really indicative of the entire, you know, over five, six, eight million dollar price point that's struggling for, for lack of a better word. So, I mean, where are we with that? I mean, where are these buyers who typically would spend that kind of money for a townhouse, for a penthouse, for a, a large size apartment, where are they right now? I mean, I have several apartments currently over four million dollars on the market, and I hardly get a phone call to see or to show. I mean, it's it's kind of like market in general crazy. is kind of um, in flux. Everyone's trying to figure out where it's going, what it's going to do. So, but didn't we do that earlier in the year? Because I noticed that there was yeah, a big bump over. up this summer. No, I don't think it's over either. But it it got busier this summer, and then it just seems like after the Jewish holidays this year, which was just last month, things started slowing down again. So I'm kind of wondering what people are thinking about. But here's the problem. I mean, it was like this earlier this year, but then as you know, some of the high-end apartments and percentages started to get knocked down and gone, went to contract, new projects started coming up. And as every new high-end project comes up, you know, you just kind of reset every single time, I feel, because there's so much new inventory in that spectrum. Um, I, I actually always pick, you know, the, the high-end brokers that I'm close with. I always pick their brain about it. So I could, I don't know, because I like to compare what I'm thinking to what they're thinking. And they all feel like a lot of the high-end buyers are actually going to new projects really early and combining apartments and not even letting them go to market. Making their own large apartments at their own large price point before it's even going to market. Interesting. Well, back to the townhouse thing, I think that um, so many people were 
you know, the town being a townhouse owner was just such like the thing to do for the high end. And but these people travel so much and there's so much maintenance that goes along with it that now there's so much inventory in the high end that's brand new construction. And there are people, you know, with offering amenities that help you take care of things when you're not around. And that I think is becoming the new thing to do. So it's townhouses are, are a little less appealing. Yeah, you're right, because my, my, my seller, you know, ultimately, you know, after living there for three years, 10,000 square feet, just he and his wife, it's a lot of maintenance. It's a very big house. Yeah, there's an elevator. Yeah, there's, it's completely renovated. I mean, it's stunning to, to, to use a word, but it's a lot of work. And Shane, my partner, um, does a lot of stuff there. He pretty much manages that house and has been for the last three years. Anything that has to happen in that house, you know, he kind of, you know, honchos that and gets it done. And, you know, we've done that for a whole, a whole host of reasons. One, to service our clients and, and, and to keep them, you know, in good standing for when they want to list again. And, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So I get where they may want to step aside and do something with a lot less maintenance, like an elevator doorman building. It's all so much inventory game. now. And there's a lot of inventory. Also, yeah. Anna brings up a really good point because what if, like, if you're a townhouse buyer who only wants a townhouse, why not look at, you know, a new development that has townhouse options so you can get the best of both worlds? Right, exactly. Greenwich Lane is beautiful. So that, I mean, in my eyes, if I'm if I have 20 million, I'm going to go to Greenwich Lane instead of going, you know, to something else in the the West Village or Greenwich Village. And also have amenities like the pool. Exactly. That development has come out really well. It's a really beautiful place, Greenwich Lane. Anyway, moving on. Attempting to buy a co-op is akin to a job application on steroids. Not only do you have to prove you qualify with a bundle of financial documents. As I always say on this show, undress yourself in front of the board. You also have to convince a co-op board that you will, you will be an asset as a neighbor. This is where reference letters come in, specifically letters from close friends and business colleagues who will attest to your personal character and financial responsibility. I have a big hot button with these letters. I just got a board package from a buyer's broker recently, and I, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you what these letters look like. And when I called him on it, he's like, well, what's wrong with the letter? I said, letters, not one letter. <laughs> they all need to be redone. So you give them examples and you give them guidelines and you tell them exactly what needs to be said. I'm in this business only 15 years, but I mean, you do a couple of board packages, you kind of learn, you know, the most, do it. The most frustrating thing for me is when- Why I- is it so hard? Well, I think the most so a buyer often will think I'll write the letters myself, right. and then I'll have my friends sign them. And I, I even though as a broker we tell them, please, I mean, I tell them at least, please don't do this. Please, in fact, blame me. Tell 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 your friends that your your broker's making you do this, and I can't write them. You know, that's what you should be telling your friends because it just it just boards can tell. I mean, can't you guys tell? When a, when a buyer writes all the letters himself and signs their name, they're all the same. They just say the same boring things. So that's one of the big frustrations I have. Um, and letters, I'll just say the thing about letters is it's probably the most, one of the most important parts of the package because it's the only way that a board can get a sense of your personality aside from maybe the intro letter, which is something else that I suggest that they write. That's right. I Not everybody do does that, but I started that a long time ago yeah. in my business, and it really goes over well. But but continue, because I think well, you're uh, right. Just, I think, so, because the thing is, that a board is seeing a package with numbers in it, and how do they get a sense of who you are as a person? It's generally the personal reference letters that'll do that, and an intro letter, which usually is not asked for, but as a broker, I think a lot of us suggest that our buyers do write them. We've won apartments in a in couple of cases because of those intro letters, by the way. Sellers read them, and if they're written really well and specifically towards the seller, 
you know, it, well, you're it's refer- well, you're referring to, which is also important, you're referring to a letter in the offer uh-huh. stage, right? Like when, when you put uh, it No, no, oh. no. In the, well, yes, in the offer stage. Because you said seller, me. yeah. No, no, no. Yes. Yeah. So those are also important if you write a letter to the seller when you're putting an offer. And I think it those also are important. They, they can help. But we're talking about now just like an intro letter in the board package, you know, where you're saying, dear board, and you explain a little bit about yourself, why you're buying the well, apartment. That's the tone of exactly. the whole package. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Moving forward, yep. you're going to either have a soft heart for somebody and, oh, they're just a little shy on their finances. It's okay. They're good people. They mean well. They're fi- their employment right. is, you know, solid. The other thing, the thing I was going to say is like, if you think about a board, when they get a package, they have no context. In, in their mind, there's a bunch of questions right away. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Why are they buying? Several what are they doing paper, here? That's all it is. Exactly. Are they going to be renting this out? Exactly. And a lot of them come with a lot of negative impressions just because of who they are. Absolutely. They're already assuming the worst. So what you want to do, as you just said so eloquently, is you want to basically have a, something to set the stage. Like, here's the context for everything. And then you kind of set the mood. <laughs> and then they read the package and everything's confirming what you just sort of outlined in the letter. Absolutely. And it makes a difference because, you know, as we just said, you just said, you know, it, it's basically a collection of papers. And, you know, board members don't know you because you don't live in the building. So you want to present yourself in the most favorable light. And it's so interesting when, when I push back sometimes on on letters, you know, and, and even buyers, you know, push back and say, well, that's that's about as you know good as I can get it. You know, my friends, this or that. And I'm like, well, here's an example of a letter. Or guess what? I'll write you the letter. And you run it by your friend or your your employer or whatever, and then if they agree with it, then just let them sign it. But the letter has to be really good. I think too, just the letters are the one of the like as Phil said, he he described it really well. One of the most important things in any board package, and a pro tip is is the second I get any package, that's the first thing I'm asking them to do because if they're not writing it themselves, they're asking other people to just take time away from their day, and most people don't really care. You know, I don't care how good of friends you are with, with a lot of people. They have their own lives that they're dealing with. And it's important for you to get ahead of that sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so, you have to, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. But I mean, the main thing is just the point is get it done as quickly as possible from the jump. And then you can manage that while you're getting the rest of your, your financials in order. That's that's one of the most important things. And when I When I tell people how to do their reference letters, I mean, the way that I present it has like a big exclamation point on it. This is how you have to do it. If you want to do it right, if you want to do it once, do it right. These are the things you need to do. These are the, the you know, try to have an anecdote, something, you know, t- talking about your charitable work, some, something funny that shows that shows your personality a little bit, but keep it on one page. Make sure it's not a family member. How many of you guys have gotten letters uh, from family yeah, members, uh, yeah. which is ridiculous. I feel like it's a given, but you have to say these things. And the way that they're addressed. And I, mean, I had one from the lawyer, actually. They had the, oh, the buyer had the accountant. The buyer had the lawyer right around the side. Yeah. <laughs> It's in because so many brokers listen to this show. I think it's really important to say that, just like we always say, it's all about expectations. Like buyers aren't used to the whole concept of a co-op and a board package, so we need to guide them on how they write this letter. I always give my buyers examples of past clients. I black their names out, you know. Um, but it's also, you know, one thing I always tell Vince that I hate 
that agents do is we're all top brokers, you know, but we all make mistakes. We all are not 100% all the time. Work together. You know, there are two of you on this deal, on this transaction, like work on the package together. Don't fight with each other about it. I, you know, I just, my buyers actually just got approved for an interview this week. I had a really hard co-op, like one of the hardest co-ops I've actually ever dealt with. And one of my favorite brokers is on the other side, Stacey Froelich at Compass. Um, and, you know, like, don't say to, like, like if I, if my buyer has a reference letter that's not great, um, don't say I've been in the business for 20 years. So like, this is the way it should be. I'm like, I don't care how long you've been in the business, you know, a reference letter is a reference letter. It, it, it should be good. And that's it. Like, don't, I don't care how long you've been in the business. Work together. That's all I'm saying. Out right, there. We, have to leave it. we have to leave it there. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Right about to back now, Lundgren from Compass. Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and our special guest today, Anna Shagalov from Halstead Real Estate. So getting ready to put your place on the market, you no doubt want to get top dollar for your apartment, and you probably guessed you're going to have to spruce things up just a little bit before opening, before that first open house. If you didn't plan on it, be advised that your broker will likely tell you. And it's always a tough conversation that I have to have with people sometimes. So still, we assume you don't have limitless funds to whip the place into shape. So what what do you spend your money on? Or if you're looking at a situation that your apartment does need to be spruced up, whether you've come up with this on your own or your broker has told you this, what do you do first? Or what are the most important things to do first? If you can't do everything, and we're not suggesting a total renovation, 
but what do you do first? In these One of the most cost-effective, yeah, well, declutters. Yeah, that's a very uh, inexpensive option. Very hard for people to do. And a lot of a lot of times they don't realize it. You know, you have always have to have a second set of eyes to come in there and say, hey, you know, do you think we really need this for the, you know, for when you have the open house? And a lot of people don't don't get it. You know, another thing that I think Vince talks about often on the show is uh, just painting, you know, regardless of how long you've been in the apartment, even if it's one year, you know, you don't realize it, but adding an extra, you know, new set of fresh coat of paint means a world of difference in, in terms of having your apartment show that much better. And sometimes that fresh paint smell actually helps too. So think about all the senses as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, it, it, to go off what Niall said, you, if there are any, you know, really colorful walls or like dark walls, I always say to someone, ask your super if they'll, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on it for like $100. I mean, you know, it's worth it. You know, make it white, like make it something that everyone can relate to and have their own palette. Um, I also always say, if you can clean the windows, that's obviously not easy, no, but, no, no. but it's, you know, some I, situations I, are harder than I, others. I, that's an absolutely amazing uh, point, Matt, because I actually just uh, was with a co-op buyer. Uh, we actually signed a contract last week, and we looked at this awesome apartment. The place, to be honest, was, you know, it had green walls. She hated the green walls. I'm like, look, we can paint the walls. She was like, I'm not doing it. And then I, and then we we looked at the windows, and, you know, it's a, it's a quick fix. I looked at the broker. I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, these windows are, like, super dirty. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know how to do it. And I just opened it up. I'm like, I would just, like, wipe this down <laughs> right now. And he was, like, looking at me. And I was he's like, I looked at my bar. I was like, let's get out of here. And we left, and we signed a, a contract somewhere else that had clean windows. But you see, and it had a neutral palette. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of an example, man. It's the simple. And one of the my biggest hot buttons, even in my own house, is windows. I have clean to the windows. have clean it's yeah. possible. Windows. I mean, look, if you're in you know, high rise, that's a different story. But if you're in a no, co-op. They have people that do it. Yeah, they have people that do it. That do it. You know, and when you're presenting, look, it's like you present yourself. And I think that's your broker's product. responsibility. I mean, I really think that you have to be cognizant enough to say, hey, it is. this looks like crap. It is. And that's why we have to sometimes have tough conversations with our sellers. And we have to point these things out. Simple things like cleaning. My housekeeper doesn't do windows. Well, tell I mean, them to do windows now. You pay them extra and they'll do windows. You're selling <laughs> your apartment. Money. You need to have your windows clean. I always tell my sellers, I mean, if they're selling, they're, they're looking, right? right? They're looking for another place to go. Right. So I always tell them, when you walk into another apartment that you're considering renting or buying, and it, can you see your life there? Can you see your, your future unfold in that apartment Absolutely. if it has, you know, too much in it, either either too many items or too many very um, specific personal effects, colored walls, windows, the whole thing. So I say, when you walk into other people's apartments that appeal to you, think of putting those touches into your apartment so that they can appeal to other people that don't know the way you live or that don't, you know what I mean? Very simple things, but but you have to make these people, you know, get with it or understand it. But, you know, decluttering, staging if necessary, painting, cleaning windows, all of these things help when you don't necessarily have to do a major renovation because you don't want to spend that kind of money uh, or your house is already renovated, but it's just not presentable. So these are simple things that help. Everybody wants to get the strongest price they can get on a sale. So all of these things help. All right, moving on. Can parents leave a co-op to grown children in their will? This is a very big question I get all the time when I'm dealing with co-ops. The answer is if you owned a house or a condominium, you could bequeath the property to your daughter or son and she or he could do what they want and as they please. Move into it, rent it, whatever. However, 
A co-op is not real property. Instead, you and your husband uh, own shares in a corporation with a proprietary lease to your apartment. The co-op board has the final say in whoever takes over the apartment and ultimately lives in it. How difficult of uh, uh, of a situation can this be? You, you you know your your parents pass away. The apartment is there. You maybe grew up in the apartment. You've had it for in the family for many many years. And now the board tells you you can't have it. You got to sell it and move on. What do you do? I mean, I I was talking about this with one of my friends at Core um, because my my parents have a co-op on the Upper East, and I always say to them, I'm like, you better leave it in great condition for you, and you die because I want that. <laughs> um, but but no, actually, it's okay because we're a joking family. My mom, when she bought it, she actually goes. The broker said something about resale, and she goes. You're gonna have to pull my dead body out of this apartment because I'm never leaving. Um, but but I mean, she's funny. Um, but but no, I I think a really good tactic that every co-op board should take on, no matter how fair or unfair it is, is that you know whenever someone passes and in their will it goes to the child or the children, I think the co-op board should interview them. I think they should be able to interview they, them. They do. Right. I think that's they a do. great, I mean, and because then and it you kind of opens do, everything up. And you, you know? also have to present financials. Right. So if you're going right. to be, you know, taking over your parents' place, you've got to sort of go in front of the board just like they did when they first bought the place or you would anywhere else that you want to buy in a co-op. So they will let you stay there if you pass muster. But the co-op needs to be fair about the financials because, I mean, obviously, if someone's taking it over, it's a very different debt-to-income ratio since you're you're hoping that the debt isn't as much as when the parents owned it. Right. Um, But I think that's completely fair, and no one can no child can say that's unfair because you're kind of presenting yourself to the board. But the key point here is you're absolutely correct, Matt. But the key point here is it's not you can't just assume that when your parents pass on, you inherit that asset where you can live in it. Yes, you inherit the asset based on their will, but you need to sell it based on the co-op rules and regulations. If you pass uh, their scrutiny, uh, whether they're fair or not, uh, and you get to live in the apartment, if that's what you want, that's great. But but don't assume that just because they passed. You get to move in, and it's you know, yeah. I mean, uh, Vince, life, on, happy ever after. On that point, I got a listing that way recent, no, maybe about a year or two ago, sure. where uh, the son was staying in the apartment after the parents passed away, and it is a very wealthy family. And he was just kind of staying and staying and staying, and the board kept sending him letters and letters, and eventually they I essentially go, evicted him. Go. And um, I mean, I guess you could call it an eviction. Yes. And then they had to sell the apartment. You know, Absolutely. so I mean, it, it's like a real thing. It's a very serious thing. Boards take it very seriously. They want to make sure the person who is on the stock and lease is qualified for the apartment. I mean, it's it's very different than rent rent regulated apartments here in town, where you can will those, so to speak, to your next of kin, to your mm-hmm. spouse, to your children, to whatever. If they've lived in that apartment for a period of a couple of years or whatever. Not the same in a co-op. Co-ops are very different here in town. All right, moving on. Building amenities like pools, basketball courts, business centers are common among new uh, rental buildings and condo development buildings nowadays. And often, in, uh, and the implicit sales pitch is often that the perks make up for small apartment sizes. So you have a small apartment, but you've got big amenities. So if it comes right down to it, would you rather live in a compact apartment in an amenity-filled building or a large apartment with no amenities? Here's one of our little test questions again. Where does do most people fall? Big apartment and no amenities, or I don't care how small the apartment is, I just want to come home and have a basketball court, a tennis court, a pool, a gym, a rooftop, 
Blah, blah. More, more people want space in their home. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, I never had amenities living in the city since 96. And only two and a half years ago when I moved into the co-op that I'm in now, and I actually have a doorman and amenities that I never actually wanted. I just, I wanted, you know, something just a lot more intimate than that. I kind of love it. Also, I have two kids. So it, I think it depends on the makeup of the buyer, um, how many people are going to need to be entertained on snowy days, um, how they need to be entertained. I mean, I think that's it's kind of it's a very personal question. I find that people prefer space, but I kind of love having my amenities now. I agree with Anna, but I will say, not to fight you, but <laughs> <laughs> argue with you, fight's a strong word. Um, I think you can get all of it these Thicker days. Is yeah. a better word. No, I, I think these days with all the new, yeah, I think all the new projects, you can get, you know, everything. I mean, you know, not so new of a project, but the Caledonia is a perfect example of like a great amenity building where the apartments are smaller, but, um, but nice these days, so. right. But these days, I mean, go to, 56 Leonard and 100 Barclay. Like, so one of the reasons 100 Barclay's monthlies are so high is because the apartments are huge square footage wise and the amenities are, you know, through the roof. Like, it's amazing. So I think you can get it all if you have the money. The actual answer to the question posed to, you know, a bunch of people out there was split decision. Usually when I ask these questions, it's it's one answer or the other. This was actually split. So 50% of the people said they liked the amenities in the building. The other 50% said they wanted larger apartments. Vince Rocco says, give me the larger apartment. I don't give a rat you know what about amenities. Because, you know, how often you, we all live very busy lives. How often are you in your building anyway? When you have children, it's a whole different story. But how often are you in your building anyway to take advantage of all these? And some, and listen, we all go in and out of new developments. We see the beautiful amenities, but really? You know, Vince, like. And, and, and it adds to the monthlies and mm-hmm. adds to the purchase price. It adds to the cost, overall cost of these apartments anyway. It also depends where you live. Like, I know where you live. I live kind of close to you. Right. And, I mean, the outdoor space there is just phenomenal, you know? The amenities yeah. I love are Riverside Park. Riverside exactly. Park. I mean, even just walking around West End Avenue, Riverside Wonderful. Drive, is beautiful. But if you're, like, in the middle of Manhattan, I mean, right. uh, you know. Or downtown where you don't have it, parks so close. Right. It just yeah. depends, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it also depends on how much the um, wanting to play house effect takes takes control with a person or a couple or a family so for instance uh if you're a family and you want to entertain or you want to have guests over in a second bedroom or whatnot i mean versus a single person or someone who just lives life and enjoys uh, the city it depends like how much you want to play house with that apartment i've very, had in 17 years in 17 years <coughs> of doing this i've had one buyer to buy for amenities it was a rackable court on, on west 59th street and um what's the five five no, it's not five 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 uh, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He bought for the racquetball court. The element. Wow, I haven't, the elements. Yeah. Wow. I haven't <laughs> seen that racquetball court. The element. That's yeah. right, yeah. 59. Yeah. That's a beautiful court, though. It's a great court, mm, but is. that's in 17 <laughs> years, one person. You, are you living in the racquetball court? But it was a single guy, and it was important. You know, listen, that's what he does. So many people say, I need to have a rooftop because there's a grill and a building that I represent. Most of the sales of on 47th Street West has two rooftops and two grills, and people do use those grills on a regular yeah. basis. I go up there on Sunday to show because I have open house or whatever, and somebody's hot, barbecuing a hot dog, a hamburger, chicken, whatever. <laughs> so 
I know, will say wills will be used. The business center is the funniest thing. Though. Seriously, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's like a, it's like a room with no windows. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, sit yeah. in there. They're yeah. like old, com- we like were. desktop computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We That's, were. Really That's the only re- um, the only reason for that is if you want to print something out at the last minute. It's like <laughs> your private the only reason Starbucks table, right? Then you have to connect your stuff to their stuff. Then it's a mess if you want to connect. I still don't get. I walked past Starbucks yesterday in my neighborhood. I got out of a via car and I'm walking right past. You know, the whole line of windows, half a block, and everybody's sitting there so serious on their laptops in Starbucks window. I'm like, you know, who created this? Go right. home and do your, your okay. laptop like we, home. Like, like we know you what you're do? doing. You're people watching. It's fine. I'm a great, I do it all the time. I'm a great like, people watcher, but it's like I get so steamed when I see people sitting in the window on their laptops or on tables. What if you walk in and you want to buy something or sit down and you nope. can't and you actually because there's no room. You want to eat something. Yeah, right. Right. All right, that's my rant for this morning. We got to leave it right there. We will be back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. As I lose my voice, we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters. Performing at the top of their game, each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the extraterrestrial rock show airing every Saturday afternoon on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix. A phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. 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 All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm talking to Niall and Anna and Matthew and Noah and Phil. So changing sales prices, as I talked about at the top of the show, can reveal a lot about the current strength and appeal of a neighborhood. There are neighborhoods where closing prices rose the most uh, in a in a period of August of seventeen uh, sixteen to August of seventeen just this year, and there were a few surprises. For example, what do you think the highest um, priced neighborhood or the most growth neighborhood is in all of New York City? So all of the boroughs. I was a little surprised when I saw this one, but we are an emerging New York City still. As Noah and I talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show, how Brooklyn is changing and how Brooklyn is really 
becoming something else in neighborhoods that I never even would drive through in a car, let alone walk on the street. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just picturing that. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's like, yeah. yeah. Hiding <laughs> behind the steering so, wheel. So, the number one place is Little Neck in Queens. I was thrown by that. Okay? Average median record sale price $647,000. Next in line, Flatiron in Manhattan, 4.3. I actually thought that should have been higher. Flatiron, 4.3 million, median price. Mm. Upper East Side, 1.7 million. Bushwick in Brooklyn, 914.5. That stunned me also. That's very high. And Yorkville, the upper, upper East Side of Manhattan, 990,000. And that's that's really seeing uh, an uptick because of the Second Avenue Q line that's been in place, well, now for almost a year or so. But Little Neck Queens... Uh, kind of threw me a little bit um, at six hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars. Have any of you sold anything in Queens? Well, I yeah. sold my first Queens property in Long Island City. We didn't close yet, but that's coming up in a week or two. I, there's no question that Queens is an up-and-coming area. I mean, clearly, there's no question. But <clears throat> I am always leery of those statistics because it is the median number, and I always would say like you have to look into the numbers because that could be one project that did really well, and right. a lot of people flock to it, and so it's pulling up all the numbers and or new development or new development. So I mean, to me, the most if, if if you told me the price per square foot was up 20%, like on average, and that, that, that to me is a more impressive figure, which is, of course, harder to get that information. But anyway, so yes, Queens is important, but the fact that Little Neck is like the hottest place in the city right now, I don't I don't buy that. I know I know Little Neck very well. I grew up right next door to it. I mean, Little Neck is... Is it Little Neck a Long Island? It's, it's, it's the it's last the town. Yeah, it's yeah. the last town in New York, in the five boroughs, right, right before you hit Long Island. I mean, I know I know Northern Boulevard very well. I don't know the inner workings of Little Neck, but um, it has changed so dramatically. I, I never sold in Queens. I don't know that I ever will sell in Queens, but um, I think that's surprising because it's like the farthest out you can get. That's what I thought. I mean, I wouldn't even consider that only part of the hour. Queens borough. But I mean, yeah, but it, it's still kind of odd. But you know, like everything else, and maybe because it's right on the Long Island border. border. Um, maybe that's why people are more interested in it um, the if Long they need Island to have a Queens address. Oh, and then there's a <clears throat> Flushing train. What's the subway? That goes the seven? Is it the seven? Is the Flushing train? I don't know. Train? I don't know. See, I'm really bad with these things. No, but I think Phil brings up a good point. Um, I mean, you were surprised by the flat iron number. I thought it, it depends was on there's so like I have an issue with Flatiron because there's so many neighborhoods that go into Flatiron. Like now Nomad is technically part of Flatiron. Like, you know, there are all these buildings that are on the border. Like is 45 East 22nd Gramercy or Flatiron? Like I wanna you know what I mean? Because that's a major project that's contributing yeah. major numbers. Mm. So but I think the most impressive of that list is Bushwick. Because if you right, that was that, that I, I totally agree. <laughs> because um, I should make sure. But I thought that I number, got that right. I, I agree with the Bushwick, but I uh, area. But I thought that number was even higher for Bushwick than than it. It hearing about well, Bushwick it, for a while. I've never heard about Little Neck. Well, I think that, I that right. That's like that, Crown I think Heights. That's, Crown Heights also. But that's why I'm so impressed with it because I think you know Bushwick. You have. You have so many different multifamily buildings. Like that's what's really selling there. It's really the multifamilies that are taken over and completely gutted um, and made into like two-family townhouses. Because yeah. the condo market there is really low, so the discrepancy between those two is probably where that middle ground comes to. 
All right, leaving Flatiron behind, politicians and landlords have spent years transforming the financial district from an area riddled with empty offices and a haven for young affluent families. When I worked there, there was never a place to get a cocktail after work. Horrible. Can you Most believe that? It can, I cannot. <laughs> Vince, <laughs> who would live there? <laughs> would, that's what I said. Who would live there? Bolstered by tax incentives, developers have helped um, quadruple the number of apartments in the area since 1990 with the bulk of the buildings occurring between well, after actually the 9-11 attacks, according to data from the Alliance for Downtown New York, the population has skyrocketed, growing from 13,675 in 1990 to 61,000 in 2016. But so have the number of trash bags clogging sidewalks and concerns about congestion, uh, congestion on the area's narrow, windy streets. What are some of the challenges that the financial district still faces these days? I'm still in shock that anybody wants to live there. And yes, I'm a real estate agent and I've sold there. I'm with you. And it's wonderful, but it, I mean, you know what it is? Why? My my person this is what I think. The build the streets are so narrow and the buildings are so tall <clears throat> that you don't get any light until you're yeah, like none. on floor 25 and and above or 20 and above. And who wants to live in like pitch blackness? And it's just, it, you're literally on top of each other. I mean, it's Manhattan. Everyone's on top of each other. But there, it just feels so congested. I mean, other than Stone Street? Really? Well, it feels no, just yeah. a little impersonal. You know, very impersonal. I mean, it's gotten more personal over time. All the financial district. Yeah. Like it's. I doubt. Exactly. And I think think it's the people who work in the financial district who want to live there because it's convenient and they want to walk and they want to walk and they want that. I mean, my cousin John lives on John Street. Hey, there you go. Johnny on John Street. There you go. I, I, have, I used to sell to a technology company on, uh, to an insurance company on John Street. There you go. A home insurance company. Oh, my God, that's dating me. Anyway, go ahead. No, I have a hard time with financial district because I, I've done a lot of business at 99, John, and um, my favorite building in the entire city is the Woolworth building. So I always, you know, have a like, emotional twist and turn about this, but I've always called financial district Gotham. Like, it's just so... Like, like Anna said, it's so dark. Like, I feel like Batman should live there. It's very, you know, <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm I have to. <laughs> like, unless you do live on, like, around the park where City Hall is. I mean, Woolworth, obviously, is a very cool location. You know, like, 49 Chambers, the new project that is, you know, arguably Tribeca. Um, you know, all the apart- most of the apartments face the park. So, like, that's nice. And, and you know. Beekman, the Frederick and John's project, um, but there's like another building going right next to Beekman. So you know what I think it is too. I think there. it's that um, a lot of people rented there over the last ten years. You know, they, they offered so many incentives, you almost couldn't pass it up, right? Yep. These amazing buildings, incredible incentives. That's how it started. Three months off, right? Three, three months free, pay the broker fee, and then if you live there, and that's what you know and you're ready to buy and you meet your wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever and she or he is living down there as well, you love the financial district, you know, and then you buy there, you know. I mean, I think, look, there's plenty of crappy places in the U.S. people are buying houses It's because that's where they grew up. That's what they know, you know. That's my two cents. I disagree with Anna. It's very dark. What? No, Phil is completely spot on with that. Like no, the, the right. Gary Building is huge. No, that he's building right. is monstrous. Like a thousand people right there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you, met, you mentioned the Woolworth Building, and and mm. and God love the sales team there because they're all great people. But you know what? My only tie to the Woolworth Building is years ago when I was in technology sales, my gym was in the 
bottom level of the basement of that building. And quite frankly, it's it's in a neighborhood that I wouldn't want to live in. I mean, it's not even a nice looking plot spot of the financial. <laughs> I market. mean, but we're talking about statistics. Like, I think those statistics are low. Like, if you think about it in a more casual basis, you know, the the four seasons and 100 Barclay, like, let's be real. That, that's financial. District. That's not Tribeca, in my opinion. So, like, those numbers, I think, should be even higher. Okay, as usual, we are out of time. That's our show for today. Matt always ends up closing the show for us. Thanks to my guest, uh, Anna Shagaloff, and our panel, as always. Until next time, please be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us. And I will see you next time, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 